You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists. And for nearly the last 10 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, we had UFC 270 over the weekend, and no surprise, we got a ton of listener mail about it this week. So we're going to be going through as much of that as we can over the next hour or so. Also, not surprising, almost all of the mail that we got was about Francis Ngannou. Okay who unified the UFC Heavyweight Championship on Saturday. Uh, he merged victorious on a number of fronts, I guess you could say. Uh, not only does he retain the UFC Heavyweight title, but the scene is now basically set for him to get everything he wants. His contract automatically extends due to the Champions Clause for, I believe, either three fights or one year. But uh, Francis Ngannou himself at the post-fight press conference certainly continued to make it sound like he's willing to sit out the rest of the year until that contract expires in January of 2023. He's still talking and tweeting about the possibility of a boxing match with Tyson Fury. Who knows if that would actually come to pass. But at this point, it appears that Francis Ngannou will either be able to get a bigger, better contract offer from the UFC or he'll be able to walk away under his own terms. And frankly, in a circumstance where it seems like the world is his oyster. And in short, He's the big winner here. And that fact seemed to consternate UFC president Dana White so much that he didn't show up after the fight to wrap the belt around Francis Ngannou's waist or to attend the post-fight press conference. Ben, what happened to Dana White here? Did he did he suddenly remember that he left the uh, the oven on at home? See, see what had happened was uh, suddenly remembered he's double parked outside. Okay, yeah. The moment Francis Ngannou won the title, that little buzzer went off to let Dana White know that his table was ready at the Olive Garden, and he you, had to jet out of there. You get, I mean, it's like you you put your name in at the Red Lobster, and you you start thinking about the Cheddar Bay Biscuits, mm-hmm. and then when the thing goes off, you're primed and you're ready. You don't want to wait a second longer than necessary at that point. Or, I don't know about you, but sometimes... I'll be preheating the oven, ready to make myself some pizza rolls. And you start to think about, it, man, I could go over some pizza rolls. Some pizza rolls would be nice. And then you hear the little oven go, tell you that it's ready. And you're like, fuck yeah, it's on. You, nothing else matters at that point. You're about the seat. You're putting those pizza rolls in the oven because you know you got to factor in time for them to cook and then time for them to cool. Because we've all made the mistake of popping a too hot pizza roll in your mouth. And that that ain't no fun. That's probably it, right? Oh, you I, lost I, me there for a second. Dana White had to run home to eat his pizza rolls? Is that... Well, to cook and then let cool his pizza okay. rolls. Yeah. Got to get an early start. Yeah. I see what you're saying. You got to plan ahead. See, I thought maybe the video store had called to let Dana White know that that copy of Jurassic Park he'd reserved months ago was finally back in stock. Okay. And he's like, I got to go right now. 
See, before I, someone else nabs it. I got to get over there. I like that this is an excuse straight from 1998. <laughs> so is Dana White. Uh, all of this is to say nothing, of course, of the men's flyweight title fight where Davy Figs reclaimed the championship and maybe set the stage to do it again, 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 brother, with Brandon Moreno. We're going to talk about all that stuff coming up this week. First, though, uh, I actually just wanted to ask you, we discussed before... You know, this week's long drought in the UFC schedule to end 2021. Uh, and like, obviously, last week we had the fight night event with Giga Chikadze and Calvin Cater. But this was sort of the first big pay-per-view event of the year, the first really big feeling event of the year. How did it feel to you not only to get back to action here, but to like to get back to really essential MMA viewing with UFC 270? Honestly, it felt good because... That moment where I turned on the broadcast and went, oh, yeah, live crowd. Live crowd, full building, packed arena. That same energy that we just have gotten used to doing without so often. And then for a legitimately big night of fights that I was really excited to see. I will say, though, this one, this didn't feel like the event that I needed to be in my seat for fight number one. You know what I mean? Yeah. That felt like, uh, if there's some good stuff on the prelims, I can go back and check it out later. It did not feel like this is a full evening of fighting action that I need to be there for every step of the way. Some of that is because it seems like they just didn't load this one up the same way they have with others. Because, quite reasonably, they thought, Big Fran and then the flyweight title fight, we got enough. And we don't need to, to load it up any more than that. I get that calculation. But also because the other stuff they did have on there, they lost a bunch of it in the lead up to the actual event. And so we went kind of bare bones by the time it went off. Yeah, I did feel a little bit top heavy. But like you said, I guess if you've got uh, a hotly contested heavyweight title unific unification bout and then another flyweight title fight under that, maybe you think that's you can get away with that. Maybe you, you think you don't need you know, fights like Jorge Masvidal versus Colby Covington, for example, which they are going to go ahead and main event its own pay-per-view event uh, with in a couple of months. Maybe you figure you, you've you've got enough. So uh, in this instance, I guess I was kind of okay with the top-heavy nature of it. We were all there for Francis Ngannou versus Cyril Gaon anyway. Yeah. And so we would have been lying to ourselves had we said anything else. Uh, remember, you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. Don't forget to go out and follow us on Instagram at CME if you nasty and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash co-main event. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries. And if you think we're having fun right now, you absolutely need to check out what's going on over at Patreon.com slash co-main event. Ben Folks and I are over there party rocking with three additional podcasts every week uh, this week. Uh, we, we were going to be doing the whole thing in the wake of UFC 270. We'll have a lot to talk about. Of course, we've got the uh, live chat on Wednesday, doing the damn thing on Thursday. And then, of course, the Friday Power Hour podcast featuring the fearsome co-main event podcast, Patreon Power Hour Power Rankings. We got a, a patronage tier for every budget. So if you want to check us out over there, support the show, help us keep uh, the discourse and unfettered and the... Uh, the independent nature of the co-main event podcast alive head over to patreon.com slash co-main event and check us out there. You know what else we'll have on the power hour is $20. We never want to see again. That's right. For keeping track of this year. And, uh, my man, I hit a parlay. Oh, you hit one. You I hit, hit a, parlay. a parlay. All right. Yeah. You're back. 
You're rolling. What, did you go one and three this league this week on your bets? Listen, you son of a bitch. Oh, no, wait. Did you go two and two? Because you got the over on uh, Figueredo and uh, Moreno. I had that one go into decision, and it was part of my parlay that they would go over three and a half rounds. I kind of got screwed on the big Franny and Ganu fight because I was like, should I bet on him just to win? Nah, I'm going to go ahead and get the better odds by betting on him via knockout because come on, if he's going to win, how the fuck else would Francis and Ganu win a fight except for by knockout? So what you're saying is your eyes got a little bit too big for your stomach because if you can get Francis and Ganu at plus money, which is yeah. frankly where he was going off right before UFC 270, you probably should have just taken that, man. It was greed. It was greed that got me. Pure and simple greed. Uh, we got music this week from our guys Foreign Cash. Remember, that's C-A-C-H-E, an L.A.-based production duo. If you like what you hear from them on the show, check out more over at foreigncash.bandcamp.com or soundcloud.com slash foreigncash. And again, that's C-A-C-H-E. With that in the books, we are going to go ahead and get started going through your listener mail to break down everything we can about this UFC 270 main event. Francis Ngannou defeats Cyril Gaon to unify the UFC heavyweight title. And maybe, as Ben Folks just spoke to when he's lamenting his losing bet, maybe in a way that very few of us saw coming. We'll get into that right after this. All right, Ben, let's talk a little bit here about Francis Ngannou and Cyril Gaon. Uh, check out the big homie Francis Ngannou out there mixing the martial arts yeah. in this fight, huh? Like, <laughs> the power shots aren't working. He ends up going to the wrestling game, the heretofore mostly unseen wrestling game of Francis Ngannou ends up uh, grappling his way to a unanimous decision victory against Cyril Gaon. We're going to start here. From our of our listener Wayne Dwops, I get it. You see what he did yep. there? See, it's, mm-hmm. it's two words. Yep. First named Wayne, second name Dwops. But when I say it out loud, Wayne Dwops. Yeah, you sound like the uh, minister from Princess Bride. There you go. Uh, from Wayne Dwops. Now, see, now I have a hard time reading the rest <laughs> of it in like with yeah. a straight face. Having not being able to land any power shots flush and getting outpointed in the first two rounds, is Francis Ngannou discovering mid-fight, oh, I can wrestle too, the best in-fight adjustment ever, especially given that most of his corner's advice was striking-based, not until the fifth did they mention a takedown discourse. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of people have made this point in the wake of the fight, and this is not how we expected it to go. We expected Cyril Gaon and, and Francis Ngannou to go out there and have a slobber knocker and either it would be the technical patient stick and move style of Cyril gone, or it would be the thunder in the hands of Francis Ngannou that won this fight. So I think we were all surprised with how this went. And like, not only will I say a terrific in fight adjustment from Francis Ngannou, but also considering two other things. Number one, exactly how much he had at stake in this fight. And number two, that apparently he came into this thing with what sounds like a fairly serious knee injury. Mm-hmm. Both of those things make it doubly impressive that Ngano was sort of able to shift gears 
uh, and switch up the game plan here to to salt away the unanimous decision, especially when he started a couple of rounds down, perhaps, on some of the judges' scorecards. And like I said on Twitter after I'd watched the fight and it was over, I mean, if you are going to be the UFC champion, you have to be able to execute and implement a plan B. You yeah. got to have something else you can go to if plan A isn't working. And frankly, if Francis Ngannou proved anything in this fight, I think he proved that he can do that. That he, if he runs into another Stipe Miocic situation or another Derek Lewis style situation where he's not able to land the big punch, well, at this point, he can shift gears and do something a little bit different and get the victory here against Sirogon. Okay, I would say he learned and proved that he can do that plan B against Cyril Ghosn. Sure. There's a lot of people in the heavyweight division I think he would not be able to do it to. But first of all, you mentioned the knee injury. Shouts out to Francis Ngannou taking a page out of the boss root and playbook, Chad. Yeah, yeah, no. If you've got a hurt knee, you want to wear something to give yourself a little extra knee support. You don't roll in there with one knee brace on your hurt ass knee. You roll in there with two knee braces. So he doesn't know, does this guy have one hurt knee? Does he have two hurt knees? Which knee is the hurt one? Is it just doing it for traction? What the fuck is going on here? You keep him guessing. That's what Boss Rutten would do. Very important to breathe, Chad. No, I mean, yeah, Francis Ngannou, he's got the knee the knee sleeves on both legs. He's not going to give anything away. Uh, and, and still, I felt like a very impressive performance considering that, like, had he lost this fight, his outlook moving forward into this potential contract holdout and possible free agency, you know, his prospects might have dimmed considerably had he lost this fight to uh, Cyril Gaon. And so seeing him kind of midway through shift gears to this more grappling heavy attack was was pretty impressive, I thought. Uh, and it wasn't, you know, the 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 fight that I think a lot of us thought it was going to be. It wasn't the highlight reel kind of uh, back and forth slobber knocker that it might have been. And when Francis Ngannou did get those takedowns, he, he wasn't doing a ton of damage with him, with them. But in the absence, frankly, of a lot of offense from Cyril gone, like those, those takedowns and positioning and the sweep that you got there in the must've been the fifth, uh, that was good enough. Like, you know, this is a mixed martial arts fight and that's what we saw out there. Uh, and it was impressive. I thought to see him, get the win in, in this in this fashion, showed that he is able to do some different stuff out there. Right, and to make that adjustment in time, because it's not only the adjustment to go from I'm going to try to knock this guy out to I'm going to try to wrestle him, it's the adjustment to go from I'm trying to finish this fight to I'm thinking about winning it on the scorecards. Because he wasn't risking his position in order to try to finish. And you're right, though, like he got into some situations where you could be like, okay, if he's able to let go here and and really pour on some ground and pound, he could maybe put Cyril Gaon away that way. But he was so worried about keeping him where he got him, holding him in position, and not letting him escape back to his feet, that he couldn't really let fly with too much of that. But it was savvy enough to know this isn't a, a different path to victory, as long as you start in the third round. You start in the fourth round, you know, you might be down too many rounds to wrestle your way to a decision at that point. And so it really was a great mid-fight adjustment by him. And you could almost see him, though, sort of having a realization like, oh, shit, Cyril's not a great wrestler. Maybe I have become a, a not, if, not great wrestler, but good enough wrestler. And 
they made this point on the broadcast, and I think it was true. When you saw them standing there on the stage at weigh-ins, they looked about the same size. And then when you saw them in the cage, they did not look the same size. Francis looked considerably bigger than Cyril Gaon. And so if you can get the guy on his back and use a little bit of that weight on him, uh, even better. You know, wear him out. Make him tyrant. Because for those first two rounds, it looked like Gaon is just having his way with him. He's picking him apart from distance. He's keeping him guessing. And it did not seem to be in a ton of danger. I got, I tell you when I got worried for Francis and Gaon, it was when he got up off the stool after round one where Eric Nixick told him, all right, st- stand up and give me a little bounce, Bubba. Give me a little bounce. Like kind of to show that you still got some, some pop in you to show that he's not wearing you out. Like let him see you bounce up and down a little bit so that he knows that you're not tired. And there was no bounce. There was no bounce, Bubba. And that's when I went, uh-oh. But that's some champ shit is to find a way to win when you're hurt, when you're down, when you're tired. Yeah. And frankly, the extreme couture corner calling Francis Ngannou Bubba throughout this fight was amazing, <laughs> I thought. like, that's, Well, they that's did a terrific. great corner job the whole time. I mean, this mentions that they didn't even really switch to talking about the wrestling stuff. But they knew when we're doing technical advice and when we're doing – as you would say, Chad, the big picture stuff, mm-hmm. the philosophy, the stuff you bring to the table as an MMA coach, that Eric Nixick in the corner there before the last round where he's telling you, telling him, like, I believe in you, you know, you, you, you did the work to get here, like, you can do this. And you felt like, you know, that these guys do have a genuine connection here and that he knows what he needs to hear and when he needs to hear it. And over in Cyril Gaon's corner, Fran Lopez was, we're losing. Yeah. We can't he lose. He was saying, we can't lose this fight. So a little bit of panicking, it sounded yeah. like over there. Uh, even though we were getting that stuff through an interpreter, it still sounded like, uh, yeah, a little bit more of uh, the, the extreme couture corner able to act like they'd been there before because, frankly, they have been there a lot yeah. of times. Yeah, and I, and I think that stuff does make a big difference. And even though by the time the final horn sounded, you could feel like maybe that fight was kind of close and it was definitely not a given that Francis Ngannou was going to get that decision. I thought he was. Um, but that fifth round sort of back and forth a little bit. Cyril Gaon uh, attempting some submissions and stuff, which I think we'll end up talking about more later. But the difference in um, body language immediately after that fight was over, told you everything you needed to know. Yeah. Francis Ngannou was walking around with his hands up and Cyril Gaon is making a face like, well, shit, didn't, didn't quite go the way I thought. Yeah. Next question this week comes to us from Emil Christensen, who writes, is Cyril Gaon the coolest dude in the UFC? How can somebody be so relaxed while Francis Ngannou is standing across the cage from you and trying to detach your head from your body? Uh, so obviously Cyril Gaon does not get the win here, suffers his first professional MMA loss, his first loss in his UFC career, loses the interim, quote unquote, interim championship that the UFC had uh, ensconced around his waist here. But... I don't think that this is in any way a final verdict on Cyril Gaon. No. Like, uh, he was out there working. I guess I would describe it as a good slash effective game plan, but not necessarily a game plan that anyone wanted to watch per se. But like, I agree a very, like a clear headed and mature, maybe I would say comfortable game plan early on where he's, you know, doing a lot of movement, just touching the leg of Francis Ngannou with his leg kicks, not necessarily throwing him even that hard, but just getting out of the way of the big power punching and thinking like he's going to tire out. And then when he is not as dangerous as he is in the early going, then I'm going to kind of take over this fight. Now, obviously, Ngannou was able to make an adjustment to that. And Cyril Gaon didn't really seem to have an answer for that. But like for the most part, the first half of this fight, I think you could say like kind of an impressive performance 
from Cyril gone just in terms of doing what he needed to do to to get the the lead the early lead in this fight yeah i mean through the first two rounds you got to be feeling pretty good you can see francis gone is slowing down he's getting way more flat-footed and he's throwing these big punches and missing by a lot and i mean that is a sign though of how cool cyril gone is about it is that there were some of those well, you know he must have felt it whizzing by his ear. Yeah, I felt the wind. <laughs> you could feel, I mean, you see the size of those mitts on Francis Ngannou. He throws one of those uppercuts that goes whistling past your ear. You're going to know about it. Yeah. You're, you're going to hear that. You're going to maybe think like, okay, that was a close one. That was a cannonball that just barely missed, and I don't want to be in the way of that. But he, he was really sticking to what he was doing there, and it was working. He was doing a good job of not letting Francis key in on his timing of keeping him guessing as far as what was coming, keep him moving. So that it's not just like the guy can back you into the fence, wait for you to stop moving and then fire off. I did wonder though, at the end of this fight, I was like, how much time do you think Cyril Gunn spent in training working on takedown defense and get ups? Yeah. Because I think you, we could probably count it on our fingers. How many minutes he might have spent on that? This is just not what you think you're going to be dealing with. And it's definitely because of his background going to be a still evolving and developing part of his game. And yet probably not at all a focus or priority in a training camp for a guy like Francis Ngannou. No, I agree. And it's kind of like in football, I guess, now, because now Francis Ngannou has shown this on film. So now (laughs) if you're going to fight him in the future, you're going to have to at least prepare a little bit for that because... You know, you don't want to wind up underneath this guy, I don't think, still, even though he is primarily known as a stand-up bomber, a stand-up striker. I, You know, I was I was impressed with with what Cyril Gaon did, and I don't want to sound like we're bashing the guy too much, but, like, honestly, as I'm watching this fight unfold, especially during the first two-plus two rounds, when it seemed like Cyril Gaon was going to win, one of the things I kept thinking to myself was, does anyone on the planet, Aside from the UFC, who have their own reasons for perhaps thinking this, does anyone on the planet want a heavyweight champion who fights that way? Like, that's not what we come to the heavyweight division for. And I, I, I'm all for guys winning fights with whatever philosophy works. That's what this sport is all about. That's why MMA is so rad. But the whole time I was watching it, I was just kind of like, imagine coming into this fight, wanting Cyril gone to be the champion when the other guy that you could have is Francis Ngannou. Just well, makes no sense to me. I mean, I was thinking, if you came into this fight just by hearing that it was a big thing, and you didn't really know the context and backstory and what's go- going on outside the cage and all that, you might have come away feeling bored and disappointed with this fight. Being like, I don't. I was told, knockout artists. Yeah. And then this one guy wrestles his way somewhat poorly. To a decision victory, that's the heavyweight champion. I could see somebody, if they didn't know what was really at stake in all the possible ways, feeling disappointed with that outcome. I'm going to put these next three questions together because they all kind of go together. First two are from Roey Orland, our old buddy who writes us a lot. He writes, subject line, what was he thinking with three question marks? And then it just says dot, 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 going for that leg. Doing a lot with punctuation here. And then he writes in again to say, I sent y'all a thing about how silly it was for Cyril Gaon to drop for a leg, but then I saw different angles and it was at least a half sweep from Francis. So ignore that last one or discuss how soft it is to to understand what's really going on or even with replays. Uh, And then we also got 
a question from the ghost of Prop Joe. Nice. Who writes, do you think Cyril Gon is going to lay in bed tonight and wish he did things a little differently with that sub- that submission a la Poirier versus Habib, Ortega versus Volkanovsky, Overeem versus Stipe? Now, pour them out for the ghost of Prop Joe. To their credit, some of the more technically adept MMA media analysts out there poured over this thing again like a video of the Loch Ness Monster. Like we had a Bigfoot <laughs> video. We needed to find out if it was real. So we ran a bunch of analysis on it. Uh, I saw Luke Thomas essentially out there going through frame by frame to figure this out about whether or not Cyril Gon initiated a knee bar or whether he got swept by Francis Ngannou and on the way down was basically like, I should grab a leg lock because it's there for me. Went for a heel hook, yeah. And I think, I think that the uh, that the final verdict was that Cyril Gon was, in fact, securing the leg like he was going to drop for the heel hook as Francis Ngannou swept him. So I do think it was a Cyril Gon-initiated move. Not that that takes anything away from Francis Ngannou's scissor sweep, because that too was awesome. But like, I do think that this is a moment where Cyril Gon later is going to be like, why did I do that? What was up with that? Yeah, I mean, it looked to me like he was trying to control that leg, but was also looking for sort of like a knee slice guard pass there, which, I honestly, uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. But maybe the thing to do there is just to get the fuck back. Get him up to his feet if you have that option. Instead of saying, okay, we've been grappling. He's been on top for most of the night. Let me try to be on top and make sure I win this round. It's tough to make those decisions on the fly, especially let's recall that Cyril Gon came into this with 10 professional MMA fights. So it's not like he has a ton of experience in that realm of the game. And you're also... At that point, 20 minutes into a title fight, you might be tired and maybe not thinking at your absolute best. So I do think you got to give Nganu some of the credit there for the sweep. But then Gan definitely did, instead of trying to get up from there, look for that heel hook and seemed to think he was closer than he ever was. Because you could see on his face, he's doing the, like, I'm really wrenching this thing. I'm going to tear every ligament in this guy's knee. And Francis Ngannou was like, they're already torn, sucker, psych. They're already unattached right now. (laughs) But he never really had it either because it was just like, uh, he didn't have enough control over Francis's leg to control his hips. Uh, and, and Francis honestly was doing a pretty good job of defending there. Like he was working that, that outside leg so that he couldn't control him and, and keep him there. Plus he kind of had his knee already past the, the midline on Surgon's hips. And so he couldn't get the same torque, but he was laying there wrenching for it and wasting time that way instead of trying to get up. Like that, I think is the inexperience, especially in the grappling game to think. You got it when you don't have it. And maybe not even to think so much as hope that you got it. Because that is a mistake that a lot of novice or just not terribly experienced grapplers make. One of the things you have to learn when you're learning submission grappling is to know when you've lost the position and to move to something else. But when you're tired and you just would rather have this fight be over and to be declared the winner, please, you can make the mistake of kind of talking yourself into thinking, I got it. I'm I'm just going to throw everything into finishing this submission now. All right, let's get into the meat of this thing with Dan Alexander, who writes, There is something sweet about Francis Ngannou taking on and winning this round in his battle with the UFC. 
understands his worth. Check. Beat former teammate. Check. Piss Dana White off so much that he won't be there to put the belt around your waist. Check. Piss the UFC off so much that if you Google UFC straight after the event, it takes you to the Hermanson versus Strickland page. What the fuck? Be gracious, be gracious throughout. Check. Great to see such a humble champ succeed and credit to Cyril gone for putting on a great performance. Always posing a threat. Please a discourse. Uh, yeah, man, I was actually trying to think if I could think of a situation where it felt like a, an MMA fighter had more at stake yeah. around a big fight. And I almost couldn't do it just because of how much it felt like Francis Ngannou was putting on the line against Cyril Gaon, like not just the UFC heavyweight championship, but also his ability to leave the company. If that's what he decides to do on his own terms and go off into what could be a more lucrative future. Like had he lost this fight, like I said earlier in the show, I don't know how much of that would still be there for him. I don't know if Tyson Fury would still be on Twitter congratulating him and, and simultaneously challenging him to a fight if he loses this fight. And so this was a big one for Francis, man, in, in, in ways we don't often see MMA fighters kind of grab the power or the, the negotiating capital for themselves and then win the big fight to cement that like Francis Ngannou, even if you're going to criticize the actual fight that it didn't maybe live up to the, to the, uh, the brawl that we thought it was going to be like, he did everything that he needed to do to now be in control of his own destiny over the, the next year. He can basically decide what he wants to do. And it kind of puts pressure on the UFC now yeah, because they got to be like, either give him a deal that he finds to be palatable enough to stay with that company or, you let your own heavyweight champion walk from the company and there's no explanation for it aside from the fact that you wouldn't give him just a little bit more money and just a little bit more freedom. Yeah. And you know, if you let the heavyweight champion walk with the belt, it's only a matter of time till he's on the trailers, dropping the belt in the trash pro wrestling style. Yeah. And honestly, here's where I think Dana White really misplayed this in a way that lends itself to this narrative makes it impossible and frankly to ignore the narrative because if he had just gone been different about it than like hey you know francis can talk about how he feels uh, like he's not being paid his worth like he's not being treated fairly like he's not being respected but if you show up in public and say all the right things and talk about him like you respect him then you kind of take the wind out of that a little bit and instead by not putting the belt on him afterwards people are going to notice that you piece up out of there. You don't go to the press conference. You do everything to really drive it home for people that you were upset with this result, that you don't like it, that you wanted the other guy to win. And that's just never a good look for the promoter, man, to look like you were in the bag for one guy against the other guy who happened to be your current champion. And then you really pit it in our minds as it's Francis Ngannou versus the UFC. And Francis Ngannou wins the fight and ends up in the contractual position he wants and so it looks like he won this battle against the ufc and it didn't have to be that way dana white could have showed up at the press conference afterwards and been like congratulations to francis that was a good win on his part and we're going to sit down and talk with him and, and hopefully we can come to a deal yeah. how is that so hard i think it, that's just an ego thing on dana white's part because even if you don't mean that stuff even if you don't really feel happy for him even if you don't expect the, the contract negotiations to go anywhere 
it would not hurt you to show up there and try to at least undermine that narrative a little bit and be like, hey, that's a media thing that you guys have got in your heads that you think it's us. We like Francis. We'd love to have Francis stick around. Uh, we're going to talk to him and hopefully be able to come up with a deal. And, you know, we're impressed with the way he found a way to win when uh, it wasn't looking his way earlier tonight. So, like, he's good and we're going to we're gonna see if we can work something out. And instead, you just go, fuck this guy, I'm out of here. And it makes it seem to everybody like you are personally unhappy with this man's victory. Yeah. Just remember, I accidentally left my good wool sweater in the dryer at home. I got to get <laughs> oh, home, no. pull that shit out oh, as soon no. as I can. Yeah. Uh, I, another thing I put on Twitter this week, but I just wanted to reiterate here was after all the stuff that Dana White said about Francis Ngannou's management team, and I know we have a question uh, specifically about some of that stuff later, but like Dana White basically saying that Francis Ngannou was getting quote unquote bad representation. The week of the fight, Francis Ngannou got more mainstream media attention headed into UFC 270 than I can remember an, an MMA fighter getting in a minute. Like yeah. he was on uh, the New York Times, which if you an MMA fighter getting a big feature story in the New York Times, aside from one that I think they had done previous about maybe Nate Diaz, uh, that's almost unheard of, man. Yeah. The New York Times doesn't cover uh, MMA like that. Like the New York Times will only cover uh you know ufc business stuff usually but yeah. like for francis and gone would get a big or personality sexual assault right yeah exactly uh for francis and gone to get a big personality profile in the new york times is amazing he was the cover story for uh espn for what is essentially espn the magazine this past week he was really on good the story too, he yeah. was on the daily show yep. uh he had that watch sponsorship that we talked about he's in he, the new jackass movie he had a cash app sponsorship he's in the new jackass movie like that's that is basically like a conor mcgregor slash ronda rousey level of mainstream sports pre-fight hype that francis ngano got headed into this fight and again it just kind of made dana white's criticisms of his management team look personal and like gripes and like basically we don't like this guy because he's asking us for more money just reinforces the fact because he's doing his job when dana white says you get quote-unquote bad representation what he means is you get good representation right. you get representation that's trying to argue in your best interest and so for francis and again to get that huge kind of like mainstream media build up and then win the fight is huge it's like i can almost not recall a time where i felt like something broke big in the way of the fighter before that that compares to this well you know what i was thinking when i saw him in the new york times on the daily show all that stuff is remember when endeavor bought the ufc and when it bought the ufc initially with a group of investors and part of its pitch to investors is we'll be able to cut office staff for the ufc and cut their sort of support staff because we won't need them it'll be redundant since we don't need a big PR staff, a big communications staff for the UFC. We have so many entertainment industry contacts, we can leverage those. Like basically, you know, if we got a client of ours who hosts a like nightly talk show, we can get a fighter on that when we got something to promote. And uh, we don't need uh, to have a staff just dedicated to trying to get the New York Times to write about you or trying to get you on the Daily Show. We can just call up our own clients and ask them to do us a solid and they will do it. And that largely has not happened. You know, a few years into Endeavor's ownership now, that has not really come to pass the way that it seemed like they were suggesting that it would. And here you see a guy who's represented by the rival agency to Endeavor, represented by creative artists, and it is happening for him. 
And it just makes you think like either those people did not actually see that as what they really did want to do with UFC fighters, or they couldn't do it as easily as they thought, or maybe they thought that them not getting that kind of shine was actually a feature and not a bug because it made contract renegotiations easier. But when you see somebody who is actually doing that for their client, it does stand out and be like, okay, that's that's the thing that you said you were going to do. And it's somebody else who is actually getting it done. Yeah. Uh, next question this week comes from Shake Pack, who writes, who do you think benefits from Francis's potential long-term layout with a torn ACL slash MCL? Is it Ngano because he can now maybe wait out his contract without fighting again? Or is it the UFC who can now use this as their own form of justification to let him walk? P.S. How does this also affect the John Jones equation as well? Uh, you know who benefits the most? Take off your shoe and drink out of it and then tell me who benefits the most. <laughs> it's the homie Tai Tuivasa. Man, I, I, I scoffed, Chad, earlier at your plan where you laid out the scenario under which you uh, imagined Tai Tuivasa possibly getting and winning a UFC heavyweight title in the year 2022. But you hear Francis Ngannou talking about his knee injury, going to sit out the contract, all this stuff. Man... It seems shockingly plausible that somebody like Tai Tuivasa gets in the conversation now. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think Francis Ngannou was planning to sit out and let his contract expire, even if his knee was perfectly healthy. Yeah. Like, I don't think he's going to take another UFC fight unless they can give him a new contract that uh, meets his his demands. And so the fact that he has, I think he said he had a torn MCL and an injured ACL. So... Not as bad as it could have been in terms of like a complete tear of the ACL as well. But before like, he got heel hooked and shit. But that's okay, true. Yeah. 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 Maybe it's worse now. I don't know. Uh, but I don't think that it really affects Francis Ngannou's plans because he was planning to, to wait out this contract anyway. So there's that. I think from the UFC standpoint, it might actually serve them a little bit because if the UFC is a winner in this thing at all, it's that Francis Ngannou now has to spend the next year under contract to the UFC and that gives the UFC time to decide if it really wants to let this guy go or if it if it can come to the table with something that he feels is worth it something that he feels like makes it worth it for him to stay there because Francis Ngannou and perhaps this is just smart positioning but Francis Ngannou has said all along that he wants to stay with the UFC he just can't do it under the terms of of the current contract so now the UFC has a year to decide do we really want to let this guy go? And essentially what they are deciding, I think, is like, hey, man, if this guy is going to go box Tyson Fury, for example, do we want to just let him go do that? Or would we rather come to a deal with him where we get a cut of that like they did yeah. with Conor McGregor? And if Francis Ngannou will let them do that, then I think it makes all the sense in the UFC for the UFC to 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 do a different contract. Now, does the word sense and UFC contract negotiation even belong in the same sentence at this point because i don't know they might just let this guy walk just to maintain the status quo which to me is crazy but i guess to them makes some kind of financial sense so i don't necessarily know if the knee injury is going to affect anything in this entire equation assuming francis Ngannou can like either have surgery or rehab it and come back to to full strength at some point i just don't think it affects the timeline that much yeah i, I if the ufc does decide that we're gonna let him walk and we're not going to even bother trying to meet uh, these terms that he would find equitable. I think then their play is more likely to be, let's try to just put him out of the news as much as we can. Let's just try to, to keep him off 
on the sidelines, off in the dark, where people will forget about him, and we can come up with something new to do in the heavyweight division that, that get people interested and get them talking about that and just not even talking about Francis anymore. Uh, I mean, if he were to go and box Tyson Fury, don't you think he gets his ass whipped by Tyson Fury? Yes. Makes a ton of money. Gets his ass whipped by Tyson Fury. Yeah. I'm all for it either way. I mean, I'm not saying that that's a reason not to do that fight for Francis Ngannou. Go get your big payday. Uh, you know, maybe acquit yourself well. Like Conor McGregor didn't suffer a ton from uh, getting beat by Floyd Mayweather. I, you get beat up by Tyson Fury. It might look a little different than that. It might be a little more painful than that. But still, uh, I think that the UFC's thinking is more likely to be if we let Francis Ngannou show that he has become a big enough star where he can name his own contract terms, where he can come up with a a contract that is not a standard UFC contract, and he can basically write it out and say, here's what I want. I want permission to go box. I want permission to do this other stuff. I, I want the contract structured in this way that is not how you do it. And we agree to that. Then we, what have we started? Right. Have we said to other UFC champions, it is possible for you to get to this point where you get to write your own ticket. And I don't think that's what they want. I think that especially in the just some fights era, what they would rather do is lose one guy if it helps them keep a chokehold on the entire roster. Yeah. Uh, we got a couple of questions here. Basically, this one from the off-white Power Ranger, which says, okay. watched the main event with my mom. And while she acknowledged the resilience and adaptability of Ngano, her exact words were, yeah, but it would have been better with a tasty knockout. Okay, mom. I wonder how many other bitch-ass casual fans. Now, see, are you talking <laughs> whoa, about your mom whoa. when you said that? He's just say other bitch-ass casual fans, implying that the mother of the off-white Power Ranger was herself yeah. a bitch-ass casual fan. I wonder how many other bitch-ass casual fans like her also echoed that sentiment and ultimately will side with Dana White as a result. We got another one from Mr. Biscuit that's kind of the same thing. He says, does, does Francis fuck around and actually elevate his stock with the hardcores, but undermine his stock with casual fans? Uh, well, we know there are always a bunch of bitch ass casuals lining up to lick the corporate boot of the true. UFC. And anytime you talk about fighter pay at all is a bunch of idiot assholes who are going to chime in and be like, I'd love to make $600,000 for one night. No one wants to watch you though, man. You didn't put in all the work to get to that point. Also, you don't seem to realize what the guy actually walks away with at the end of the day after stuff like that. And he's fighting for the goddamn heavyweight championship in a cage fight. That is some dangerous shit. Preparing for a fight like that is some dangerous shit. But there are always going to be those people who say that kind of stuff. Would it have been better to knock Cyril Gon's head clean off? Hell yeah. Hell yeah, it would have been better to beat him by knockout. But if you saw that that wasn't going to happen, it's still... As the CME and its holy scriptures like to attest, always better to win than to lose a cage fight. Yeah. Uh, that said, I'm always kind of surprised with what I see as like the resiliency of casual fans' interest in tuning in to watch these people, right? Because he's Conor McGregor as the the obvious example. I like I always say, if you came into the Conor McGregor game. When he fought Floyd Mayweather, if you were not aware of any of Conor McGregor's previous work, and that's when you found out about him, since then, you have basically only seen him lose, yeah. except for the one fight where he fought old 
uh, the old version of Cowboy Cerrone. Like you have only seen him lose. And yet it still feels like people are lining up, continuing to line up to watch Conor McGregor fight. And I got to think the same thing would be true of Francis Ngannou. Like if if you tuned in to watch this fight and it wasn't exactly what you expected, but he got the win nonetheless. And the next thing you find out is that he is going to box Tyson Fury. You still put Francis Ngannou on the poster. You still put him on SportsCenter. You still put him on wherever you can get him. And you just got to look at the guy and be like, yes, that is a person that I would be interesting, yes. interested in trying to box the, the heavyweight champion of the world. So I think that Francis Ngannou's star power is either only just now on the rise or or is is resilient enough to withstand some people's disappointment with how this fight played out. Like, I don't really have a doubt with that. I wanted to ask you, like, what do you think happens now? Like, what do you actually think will happen? In, assuming that Francis Ngannou is serious about sitting out this year and either getting a better deal from the UFC or moving on and going to do something else. Do you think if you were the UFC, would you strip him? Like, cause I feel like the most UFC move would be to immediately strip him. If he can't, if you can't make a deal on a next fight sometime this year to strip him and have a fight for the vacant title. And whether that is Cyril Gaon and Stipe Miocic or, you know, Cyril Gaon and the winner of Derek Lewis and Tai Tuivasa, whatever it is, you make that fight. Or do you keep the title on Francis just to kind of, like, I don't know, keep that door open to like to to maintain a uh, a negotiating window with that guy? I don't think you strip him until you have booked the fight that you would choose to crown the new heavyweight champion. And that's where. You know, the earlier question that said who really benefits the most from his knee injury and from him sitting out and mentioned John Jones as a possibility. That's where somebody like John Jones might feel his negotiating leverage to have improved is to be like, you need to do something big in order to move on from the Francis Ngannou era of the heavyweight division if you decide that you're not going to be able to keep him around. You're not just going to be able to roll into Tai Tuivasa versus Derek Lewis and be like, guess what, guys? This is for the heavyweight strap now. Straight up, like you, you got to do something that feels big enough so that it doesn't feel just like a sad, sad charade. And even if you could do something like John Jones versus Stipe Miocic, you could plausibly be like, okay, hey, we've been talking to Francis's management. They're just saying a hard no. They're 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 not wiggling on negotiations at all. They're just not. There's no productive conversation happening. And so, hey, you know, we, we got to move on and it's not fair to these other guys. That's what you do. It's not fair to these other guys in the heavyweight division who deserve a chance to fight for the title for him to just stay home and keep the belt there. So, you know, fine. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know contractually if he's having to sit out because of the champion's clause. Basically, if you strip him, do you then have to let him go? I don't oh, know. That's an interesting but question. You, more likely, you, you create an interim title. In the meantime, and then when he is actually gone or when that matter is settled one way or another, you just promote the interim champ and say he's just the champ now, which they've done before in the past. But you do need to have something that you can immediately point to to say this is what's going to settle. This is what's going to tell us who the heavyweight champion is now. You can't just be like, he's not the heavyweight champion and effectively there is none until we get it sorted out. Uh, you, you need to have something that you can pivot to right away. And that's where I think that Guys like Stipe or John Jones hoping to get something on the books 
might be like, hey, you have a problem you need to solve. You have a vacuum that needs filled. Uh, my calendar is open. Yeah, that's the follow-up question I was going to ask. Because I think if you're Francis Ngannou, if you can make, let's just say for the point of argument, $20 million to fight Tyson Fury in a boxing match, you absolutely do it, even though you probably get schooled. You should you should definitely do that if you can make that kind of sort of generational money yeah. to go to go fight Tyson Fury. But does it also sort of make sense if you're Francis Ngannou to that this might be a good time to exit mixed martial arts just because you've had all this success. You've kind of done everything you could do short of perhaps a John Jones fight. And it also kind of feels like there's a blueprint out there for how to beat you. And you mentioned this earlier, like, yeah, man, you beat Cyril gone because you could take him down and control him on the ground. But if you get in there with someone who can execute that same game plan, but has better defensive wrestling, you might be in a lot of trouble. So is it a good time now for France and Gano to kind of graciously find the exit? It's not a bad time. I, you got Tyson Fury interested. You got a lot of people talking about you. It, it's a, it's a pretty good opportunity to cash in. And, uh, I mean, I do think that it's easy to come away from this one fight and be like, mm, maybe France isn't that scary. Maybe you just have to stand on the outside and pick him apart, man. Maybe that's all there is to it. Uh, I I don't know. We've seen – it's not like other people haven't tried some shit like that. We've seen that the guy can still just land one punch and change your whole program. Plus, if the ability to wrestle his way to a decision tells you anything, it's that – He's still getting better. Yeah. He's getting better at mixed martial arts. But if you're looking for that big payday and you're looking for more contract flexibility and all that, clearly that is to be found in boxing and not the UFC. Yeah. No, you're right. I guess it is much easier to draw up a game plan for Francis Ngannou and much harder when you actually have to be like, just don't let him hit you, though. Like, don't let him even hit you one time. Yeah. Not even like a glancing blow. Just like, you shouldn't even let him touch you. Yeah. You know what? Let's just, I I got an idea. Let's hit him, but without getting hit back. Which honestly, Chad, uh, is as strategies for fights go in general, pretty great if you can pull it off. Good work if you can get it. I did want to do this one from Barry Evans before we move on, who basically just sent us a link to uh, Markel Martin's Instagram, Markel okay. Martin is the uh, is the manager of Francis Ngannou, works for CAA. He's been in the news a lot with his his uh, squabbles with the UFC over this this past year or so. And like I said earlier in the show, it seems like CAA and Markel Martin really did a great job, frankly, getting Francis Ngannou a bunch of sponsorships and a bunch of mainstream media attention headed into this fight. Uh, and after the fight was over, I think he posted this update on his Instagram which basically says, here's just like a taste of what I've been dealing with over this last period of time. And it, it's it's someone sent him, I'm not going to read it, but just like some vile racist trash. A text message uh, from a, a number with a 702 area code that is like some vile racist trash. And the last line of it, I will read, it just says, after this, you will go back to selling suits at Nordstrom's, you fucking moron, three middle finger uh, emojis. And again, it's the, white middle finger too. That's right. White middle fingers. This is, this is another thing where I'm just like, man, if the mainstream media covered this sport, the way that it covers football or baseball or basketball, uh, this would be the major headline in sports for the next month, maybe. Yeah. But because it's mixed martial arts, no one is paying attention to this, but it's really, 
it sucks super bad and it's very uh demoralizing to know that Francis Ngannou and Francis Ngannou's manager in the words of Marco Martin like deal with this kind of bullshit all the time well interesting to note that according to this screenshot of the text message it came in at 3:01 a.m. yeah and so you the way up. the way that it reads kind of do you think this came in after the fight because it kind of sounds like it was no. written before the fight, yeah. right? Like it, it came like in. It came in three hundred one, like Saturday morning, okay, like after yeah. somebody was out, maybe Friday night. Because it says, "Let's see who gets the last word after tonight." Uh, interesting choice. So, first of all, it's stressing me out big time that this screenshot of his text messages shows four hundred and sixty-seven unread messages. <laughs> How do people live this way, man? How do you do it? I don't understand. But also, the choice to block out the number with this little, like, red... Yeah. Markel Martin goes in and scratches out the number so you can't see it in his Instagram post, which is, frankly, better treatment that this whoever this person is deserves. Right. If absolutely. it's me, I put the fucking number up yep. there, and I'm like, anybody wants to text this joker back, mm-hmm. feel free. They, did, they got it coming. So you're right. He scratches out the whole number. Except... Except... For the 702 Las Vegas the area Las code. Las Vegas area code. So that seems like a purposeful move yes. to leave that on there. We are trying to at least waft an accusation in the direction of the UFC executives, it seems. Well, yeah, unless we are to assume that some random person who has Markel Martin's phone number and also apparently, I would guess, a burner phone with a Las Vegas area code is out here texting him at 3.01 in the morning. Yeah. And... You're right, though, that if this were a agent for an NFL quarterback during like a contract holdout or something, and he posted this stuff on there, and you know the, his guy plays for the Cincinnati Bengals and it's a Cincinnati area code, you'd be like, "Oh, holy shit, this is a big fucking deal!" And in this crazy sport, somehow it just feels like, well, that's so. I guess that's what happens this weekend. Okay. Something tells me we're going to end up talking about Francis Ngannou most of the week over on uh, the Patreon stuff. We do want to get into talking a little bit about uh, the flyweight title fight before we wrap up. We will do that and maybe mop up a couple other pieces of listener mail right after this. Well, Ben, Davey Figs is once again your UFC men's flyweight champion. A very close fight here in fight number three with Brandon Moreno. Davis and Figueredo ultimately emerges the unanimous decision winner. Uh, these guys, as I said, three fights in a row now dating back to December of 2020. Are we doing this again, brother? Are we gonna get? Are we going to get the fourth installment of the Brandon Moreno Davison Figueredo quad quadrilogy quad quadra yeah quad quadrigenal mm-hmm. quad what do we call it when there's four of them uh, we don't call it anything because that shit don't happen okay but first of all lucky for us they have put on a series of good ass fights yeah so if you tell me you got to watch another one of those okay twist my arm. 
I'll watch another one because there hasn't been a bad one yet. So yeah, I, I, I watch it again. Plus it doesn't seem like flyweight has a whole lot else that is ready to go. Like in evidence by the fact that we had to have uh Brandon Royville as their backup to turn around and make weight uh, as a backup for this fight just a week after he fought, just because it doesn't seem like there are enough other options, like something like Pantoja being hurt or just not ready to book a fight yet. If that's the situation where you don't have other pressing business that you need to move on to, I mean, shit, they're one, one and one at this point. And this one, I think really could have gone the other way. I was surprised with this decision. What did you think? Uh, I was a little bit surprised. Like I, I could obviously absolutely see Brandon Moreno getting the, the nod here, but this seemed like another one of those fights where it was like, maybe Moreno was doing more work, but Davis and Figueredo dropped him. Right. And that's the thing where if you're sitting cage side and you're one of the judges, you're like, Oh, well, that was easy for me to see. Yeah. And so maybe you give him the nod in a round or two because his, Strike seemed more impactful. I honestly yeah, don't know. It also seemed to me, though, that Brandon Moreno hurt him several times yeah. in that fight. Yeah. It is. Uh, it does come down a lot to like, what you are valuing and, and how you're putting the emphasis in the fight. But it is close. It's just a close, good fight. There's a part of me thinks that they could fight five more times if we want, and they'd all be kind of close. And maybe you still come away going, I don't even know who won. That, that does seem like a legitimate possibility. But... Since it seems like the UFC's attitude on flyweight is, man, we're kind of mildly surprised if anybody's paying attention. Yeah. I, I can see them going like, sure, why not? We could put this as the second title fight on another upcoming pay-per-view at some point in the future. Uh, and they're making less than most other champions anyway. So why the hell not? Yeah. No, you're right. Like they are one, one and one in their last three. And I kind of feel like you got to do it just for the. Uh, uniqueness of it just because like you hardly ever get a four fight series in MMA and you know barring another draw you could kind of call this one definitive because someone then would have two wins compared to the other guys only one win so if there's another draw fuck it we give up that's right if it's another draw both guys are eliminated <laughs> uh but yeah like if I was another flyweight I would kind of hang my head a little bit just gonna be like man really we're gonna do this again now I gotta probably win three more fights or whatever <laughs> but uh it, it, it makes sense I, I see it happening uh all right let's do some of these other questions here just in a few minutes before we have to wrap up we got this one from Mr. Peanut Butter who wrote in and said did you see Tito try to offer some <laughs> words of encouragement to Francis Ngannou regarding his current battle with the UFC over pay needless to say his infamous mush mouth tendencies extend to the written word as well hilariously obviously uh, but seeing him try to correct his mistake in additional tweet and then failing again to be coherent made me think all uh think all of this might be one giant troll surely this is an act can anyone really be this dumb if it's an act i mean if it's an act give the man the oscar he should win an egot at this point <laughs> he is so goddamn committed to it if it's an act i'd be fucking really amazed and impressed because remember when we watched the prestige and the guy uh, the old chinese man who pulled up the the fishbowl and his magic trick and the guy realized this is the act him walking around his entire life pretending to be a feeble old man that's the dedication to the art. Tito would have that guy smoked <laughs> with his dedication to his art of what appearing to be the world's biggest moron. Yeah, and I did. I did like the original tweet where he like writes the whole thing about, uh, you know, congratulating Francis Ngannou. And then the last two lines of it are 
they wrote me out of the history books. I hope they do the same to you. <laughs> yeah, even though, even Pacino, does he just need glasses? Like, yeah. would that be it? Like, he just can't see what he's writing? Even if he had said what he meant to, the best case scenario there is still him congratulating Francis Ngannou, but in a way that tries to ensure Tito Ortiz is in that same conversation. about I can't just congratulate the guy. Got to mention myself as well yeah. in my congratulations of you. It's a, it's a great act if it is an act. <laughs> this next one comes from Patrick Milder, who writes, I know we're not allowed to criticize DC on the CME. Uh, what? I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, but his commentary has been a bit cringe to my wife and me. Specifically this weekend, he insisted Ngannou cut weight to get to 257 and then said, uh, he's finally hydrated at the fight. This seems incredibly dumb. Am I, as a person who cuts weight for comps now, cutting an extra eight pounds could only be detrimental, right? Uh, yeah, this was weird when he said this. Like, I don't think Francis Ngannou was cutting weight to get to 257. He'd like, he was 263 against Stipe Miocic uh, in their last fight. And I think that's kind of, he's walking around right there. It's, that's my assumption anyway, because it would be very weird to cut down to 257. On the other hand, as you mentioned, he did look, huge once he got in the cage well when he looked huge in comparison to Cyril Gong was when they were clinched up against the fence yeah and maybe that's what accounts for the visual difference is that it's one thing when they're both standing there on the stage and everybody is shooting the pictures from below the stage and so you just see two tall big ass dudes standing there with their fists up and then when they're actually in the, the cage and we're shooting them from above the fence line and looking at one guy just crushing the other one against the chain link, it seems more obvious that one dude is bigger. Uh, I, yeah, it does. I, I had that same moment of thinking like, wait a minute, are you saying that he's walking around at 270 and instead of just cutting to 265 and calling it good, he went ahead and cut eight more pounds after that? Why? Just to fuck with him? Just to be like, aha, you thought I was 257 and I'm 270. Like, everybody knows you're a big-ass dude, man. It's not like anybody was being like, okay, Francis Ngannou, what we learned here today at the weigh-in, not that big. Not that big a guy. This should this going to be a breeze. Yeah. This is going to be easy. I don't know why we were worried about this. <laughs> now that we see him in this guy's person. a paper tiger. Uh, you know what? I feel like we have criticized Daniel Cormier over the years when he has said dumb stuff. He said stuff we disagreed with about fighter pay and other topics that we have talked about. Uh, and obviously, when it comes to UFC commentary, I think that, you know, he just had it out with Dominic Cruz in a very public and again, I would offer kind of cringe way. But at the same time, I don't think anybody was necessarily disagreeing with Dominic Cruz's overall point that we don't think Daniel Cormier is doing uh, the research in the same way that uh, Dominic Cruz is, that he's probably not bringing that kind of insane level of uh, of myopic focus to the task. But at the same time, I will take Daniel Cormier flipping out when, when Francis Ngannou starts wrestling 100 times out of 100. Yeah. I, abs- I want that on my broadcast team. I want Daniel Cormier's unbridled glee when Francis Ngannou hits a double leg. That's what he's there for. Yes. And that's what I want. That and, is- I, and I, and I, let me be clear. I do want it. Yeah. He's going to just say some stuff at times and that's fine. But I, I agree that that's not, you got to understand the role that he serves on that broadcast and it's to bring like an energy and charisma. And he does do that. And so I, I'm not going to get too hung up on it. 
Uh, Isaac Spooner wrote in to say, how about the big homie Frank Trigg refereeing his first UFC fight and a wild one at that? Felt good. Stay frosty. Man, my uh, man, is, he's in the book of Boba Fett. Or yeah. so we're led to believe. Yeah, beloved patron of the co-main event podcast, Amy Suen, right? Wrote in last yep. week during one of the Patreon uh, properties to let us know that Frank Trigg plays we're not going to remember the name it's, a, it's one of the gamorian guards oh that's right gamorian well, guards like one s- of the green guys yeah, but in- you see them you see the picture i posted one on twitter because i went and found it and i just wanted to see like, like a picture of them side by side the two guards to be like can i tell which one is frank trick no way no way can i tell and that's the thing of playing one of those characters where it's like you're playing a Star Wars character where we all know the action figure, basically, and all we assume that all the people of that ilk look exactly like that. So when you play one, we just have to take your word for it that that was you. Yeah. I mean, I might start claiming that I was one of the Gamera. Oh, you don't have those arms. Come on. <laughs> Not built like that. Yeah, I'm not a beefy boy enough to be one of the Gamera. So guards. good for Frank Trigg, frankly, coming up in the world enough that he now has a... Uh, a, a recurring role, I guess. It's not like he's going to be out here delivering any uh, Hamlet style monologues as the Gamorrean <laughs> guard, but like he's in the show. He's in the book of Bubba Fett. That's good stuff for Frank Trigg. And he's now out here having climbed the ladder as a referee getting UFC fights. So good for him. Yeah. It's always good to see any former fighter land on their feet. So good for Frank Trigg. Uh, let's see here. What else we got here? We got one from, I guess the Jesse white deer wrote in, to say it's January 2023, Tyson Fury is in the middle of a boxing ring in Madison Square Garden, cutting a promo on Francis Ngannou as he's about to deliver the final verbal blow. The lights go out and T.I.'s big things pop and booms over the speakers. <laughs> the camera cuts to Floyd Mayweather strolling down to the ring, joined by Francis Ngannou himself. Floyd, with the mic in hand, announces Big Fran is now a Floyd Mayweather guy. He also uh, relieves... We are now looking. Oh, he also reveals we are now looking at the franchise, Francis Ngannou. Big Fran dressed in a metallic gold suit opens up his jacket and shows us he's now the new owner of Floyd's money belt, complete with giant dollar sign in the middle. Floyd cackles and points to the belt. Who needs the heavyweight title when you're the billion dollar champion? Uh, first of all, terrific scene setting. Yeah. Here by I the felt I could. I felt like I was there. Longtime friend of the show, the Jesse White Deer. But a legitimate question, like let's say you're Francis Ngannou and you hit the streets and you are looking to get into boxing. Does it make sense to you to align yourself with any of these people, whether it be Floyd Mayweather, whether it be Jake Paul, who we've talked about earlier, uh, you know, Showtime. Is there anybody here who can who could help Francis Ngannou the most as a boxing property if indeed he's going to fight somebody like Tyson Fury? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question because. It depends, I think, if you're thinking that Tyson Fury is the one and only fight for you. Or if you're thinking, I am a boxer now, and I want to fight boxing matches against whoever you got for me to fight boxing matches. Because, you know, how the world of boxing can work, you don't necessarily want to rule some stuff out or make it more difficult by aligning yourself with a rival broadcast partner or something. Uh, but you know what? I... The Floyd Mayweather Association makes me a little uncomfortable just because being like, okay, so now I gotta again go through the process of reconciling my feelings about shithead domestic abuser Floyd Mayweather, and then if he attaches himself to Francis Ngannou, who we have generally positive feelings about, be like, okay, uh, shit, the the world just gets more and more complicated. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that 
one thing we've seen from Francis Ngannou so far is that he seems to have fairly good balance in these matters. That he's, despite Dana White at one point saying that he, he got a big head and that he's arrogant or something, he does not ever really come off that way. He comes off like he's maintaining pretty good perspective on it. Yeah. And so I guess I would trust him to do that when he moved into boxing as well. See, what if you could get... Francis Ngannou against Tyson Fury as the main event on a boxing card where your co-main was Jake Paul against the other Fury, Tommy Fury, Tommy Fumbles, Bobby Fury. What if what if you could do that? I mean, that's a that's a lot of different ways to split the pie, perhaps. But at the same time, you probably sell a bazillion pay-per-views if that's your deal. You probably do. Honestly, the former president, Walter Mondale, I'm sorry, former presidential candidate. Far, yeah. far be it for me to change history. Uh Former presidential candidate Walter Mondale writes in just to say, I put 10 cents on Francis Ngannou to win his fight by Oma Plata, plus 50,000 odds at Bovada. No question. Just wanted to let you know you're both invited to a party on my private yacht if this cashes. Now, clearly this came in before the fight. But can you imagine if you had had some money on Francis Ngannou to win the fight by Oma Plata and then it plays out the way it does, where for at least a time, Francis Ngannou has Cyril gone in his open guard? You're probably sitting at home. You're probably not sitting. You've jumped off the couch at that point, and you're screaming for the Oma Plata. First of all, they let you make a ten cent bet at Bovada. Well, it's possible he means ten dollars, but he does say okay. it does say ten cents the way it's written. Okay, because you and I know dealing with the Montana Sports Bet app, they won't let you make anything less than two dollars. Yeah, you, so. you you know because you tried out the small bites. That's right. Method. Uh, honestly, if I bet on something like that and I actually won it, I would be afraid. I'd, I would be afraid that I had gained some kind of powers that I did not understand or, frankly, deserve. And what have I wrought? What have I willed into existence? And do I then have to just sit there on the couch stunned and be very careful not to wish for anything? Because it might come true. Yeah, you would have to. Great responsibility would come with that great power. You would have to. I don't want that. I don't want that responsibility. It would frighten me. But you do want the money, though. You do want the win. I mean, if you go to cash that ticket, the FBI is waiting for you. Yeah, they would think you were one of those time travelers, like from every science. <laughs> oh yeah, fiction. one of those, one of those time travelers. Well, basically, you hear so much about all the time. Basically, in every time travel, like science fiction novel, someone at some point like goes back in time with like a sports almanac yeah. mm-hmm. and starts making bets. They would think you were one of those people. You, if you come back from the future with a sports almanac, try to play it a little cooler. <laughs> Then betting the exact improbable method of victory to get those incredible odds. All right. That's going to wrap it up this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm sure we will have a lot more to say about UFC 270 and Francis Ngannou and what is ahead in terms of his contract negotiation with the UFC all week long over at the Patreon. Jump on board. Join the team. Support the podcast. Patreon.com slash co-main event. If you want to email the podcast with a question, a comment, or concern, you know how to do it. Go to the website co-mainevent.com and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us right now. Thanks for listening, everybody. We are done. We are through. We are out. You know, that's just thinking. Maybe Dana White realized he forgot to talk to you. Whatever happened to you, you get all dressed up and everything, you're out. And you're like, Shit. I gotta try to make it through this thing. I'm not gonna get to the last 
mean, normally Dana White is wearing what I can only assume is a really expensive cologne. Have you ever stood close to Dana White after an event at yeah. like a scrum or whatever? He's usually he's got the, he's got a scent on. Let's just say that. <laughs> He has those bases covered. It's not his first rodeo. Say what you will about him. He's been doing this for a long time. He probably knows. Bring a little bit of extra flow to the event so you can apply a little bit before you're going to be surrounded.